Hi, I'm Jen White, and this is Reset. Yesterday, Cook County Board President Tony Preckwinkle issued her first legislative veto. She blocked a resolution that recommended county public health officials give 911 dispatchers the addresses of suburban residents who have tested positive for COVID-19. And President Preckwinkle joins us now to discuss her decision and to update us on how the county continues to deal with the virus as the state of Illinois gets ready to enter phase three of its reopening plan later this week. President Preckwinkle, welcome back. Good afternoon, Jen. So we we certainly hope you and your loved ones are doing well. How have you been doing? Well, personally, I'm fine. Um, My daughter is a nurse. I worry about her all the time. Well, as we mentioned, you've never vetoed legislation before. What drove you to veto the resolution about revealing COVID-19 addresses to 911 dispatchers? Well, first of all, I've I've been in this office for 10 years. And as you point out, I've never vetoed a, a measure before. Clearly, I feel very strongly about this. And... You can't know everything, and if you're if you're smart, you listen to the people who are experts. And in this instance, the experts are our, our public health folks, the Cook County Department of Public Health. Dr. Kieran Joshi and Dr. Rachel Rubin are co-leaders of, of Cook County Department of Public Health, and they were emphatic that this is a really terrible idea and bad public policy. The virus is ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Um, and we don't have the capacity to test everyone, so we don't really know uh, the magnitude of the disease in terms of its impact on the entire population. And first responders, you know, God bless them, have to do is assume that every household they enter, every call that they make, every event that they attend, there, there are people there who have COVID-19 and who may be asymptomatic or have mild symptoms and, and not be in the hospital or whatever. So they need to protect themselves. They need to have personal protective equipment whenever they go out on a run or a call. Um, and to suggest to them that somehow providing the addresses of people who've tested positive is going to make them safer is unfortunately not true. And furthermore, I mean, we've had the AIDS pandemic that we dealt with in the 80s and continue to struggle with. You know, there are outbreaks of tuberculosis, not to mention measles or mumps, and we don't provide that public health data to first responders, and there's no reason why we should do it in this instance. And finally, um, you know, black and brown communities have been disproportionately impacted and will be further stigmatized by doing something like this. Well, as you know, Governor Pritzker has begun the process of opening things up again. What are your thoughts about his Restore Illinois protocols? Uh, We're going to follow uh, the governor's guidance. Did the governor seek consultation with your office as he was developing this plan? Uh, He told me about it before he announced it. And and what were your immediate takeaways? Did you you feel like, yes, this is a good plan for the county and, you know, every, every box has been checked? The governor has access to epidemiologists and, and folks who do modeling on the you know potential uh, waxing and waning of the disease. And so he's in the best position probably to determine you know where we are and what's safe. And so, as I said, we're going to follow his guidance here in Cook County. Well, as we move forward, what advice do you have for citizens who will venture out during the coming phases of this reopening process? So I have a dog, Don, whom I walk twice a day. And um, Unfortunately, in my own neighborhood, I, I see many people, morning and evening, who don't have masks. Uh, most people are observing you know, physical distancing, but most people, many people, I won't say most, many people don't have masks. So, you know, people have to continue to, to try to be safe and to keep other people that they encounter safe. And that means wearing a mask. It means maintaining the six-feet physical distancing. Uh, it means, you know, washing your hands all the time. All the things that people have been encouraged to do while the shelter-in-place order has, has been in effect, they continue to need to do as they venture out. 
Well, when it comes to working with the federal government, you're you're dealing with a White House that has been at times hostile towards leaders in, in our state. Here's some back and forth between President Trump and Governor Pritzker. Let's listen. I'm honestly upset about the lack of early action on a national basis. This will go down in history as a profound failure of our national government. Pritzker, I hear him. He's always complaining, and yet we're building a 2,500-bed hospital in McCormick Place. That's the big convention center in Chicago. We're helping to staff it and probably will end up staffing it because he's not able to do what you're supposed to be able to do as a governor. He has not performed well. President Preckwinkle has the relationship between the state and the current administration impacted the county's recovery efforts in any way? Well, first of all, I'd like to concur with the governor. I mean, one of the tremendous challenges that we as local elected officials have had is that there has been a federal response that's been chaotic and not comprehensive. And as a result, uh, at the local level, we've kind of been left to our own devices in many respects. And that, that of course, not only... Um, impedes our ability to to uh, deal with the with the pandemic it also impedes our ability to, to plan for recovery you know president trump has proved his uh, inability to meet the qualifications of the job and you know i'm grateful to to governor pritzker for standing up for the people of illinois and for the work that he's trying to do to ensure that we're both safe and and have an opportunity to move forward as the uh, pandemic as the virus wanes a little bit do you feel like the tension in that relationship has impacted your ability to to respond to the pandemic at a at a county level? No, I mean we've been we've gotten some support from FEMA for which I'm very grateful. We've gotten a lot of support from the Illinois National Guard and for the Illinois Emergency Management Agency, IEMA. No, we've, I'm I'm very grateful for the support that we've received from the state and state agencies as well as uh, support from the federal government through FEMA. President Preckwinkle, the start of the county's 2021 budget season is coming up in June. Back in April, the preliminary projection showed an up to $275 million shortfall. What's the latest on that estimated shortfall? Well, I mean, we have to submit a, a preliminary budget by the end of June, June 30th. And we'll have a better sense there of then of uh, what the you know fiscal impacts are going to be on us but 65% of our revenue is dependent on economic activity so it's sales taxes amusement taxes you know for con- concerts and and movies and plays hotel and motel taxes uh, you know car rental i mean all of those are dependent on economic activity and basically economic activity fell off the cliff in the third week of march so um 275 million is probably a conservative estimate of the impact on us um we hope and pray for federal action on what we call lost revenue, uh, compensating local units of government for revenue streams that have just dried up uh, in the course of this pandemic. It, you know, that's, that's a measure that it passed the House in the last couple of weeks, but has not been acted upon by the Senate. And I'm told by um, our advocates and lobbyists in, in Washington that um, we don't anticipate action uh, from the Senate until midsummer. So. We're working hard in Washington to try to get bipartisan support for lost revenue. That will be really helpful to us and to every local unit of government in the country. How much of the shortfall is directly connected to the COVID-19 pandemic? Well, I mean, we had a balanced budget when we approved it in November. Uh, So clearly, I mean, 
the pandemic has had has increased our expenses. Um, we're treating a lot of people who are uninsured in our in our health and hospital system. That's what we always do, but that's been magnified by the pandemic. Um, during the course of the last several months, between 40 and 50 percent of our patients in Stroger Hospital, our flagship hospital, have been COVID positive, and half of the COVID positive patients are uninsured. So they re- and you know people who are in the hospital are really pretty sick. Many of them end up in our ICUs, our intensive care units. Uh, or on ventilators or respirators, that's expensive care to deliver. You know, we've gotten some money from the federal government to compensate us for the COVID-19-related expenses, uh, but we don't, as I said, have compensation from the federal government as yet for COVID-related shrinking and drying up of revenue streams. Well, WBEZ recently talked with doctors and, and patients and also analyzed 911 calls and death records. And our reporting suggests Cook County residents are putting off medical care during the pandemic because they're afraid to go to the hospital. Are you concerned that we could be seeing a separate public health crisis in the middle of a pandemic? Well, I mean, we're in the midst of several public health crises. It's not just the pandemic. There's the, the COVID-19 pandemic. There's a pandemic of opioid deaths. Um, this year significantly higher than last year. We have 257 murders. Last year at this time we had 240 in the city of Chicago. Uh, So we have an epidemic of opioid deaths, an epidemic of violence, and an epidemic of a a coronavirus. So we're challenged by all three at the same time, and that has led to more cases in the medical examiner's office Last, as of last week than there were in the entire uh, 2019 period. I think we had um, 3,518 deaths from the virus so far this year and a total of 6,586 uh, cases that have come to the medical examiner's office as of last week. Uh, and again, these, these numbers are, reflect uh, our struggles, not just with the pandemic, but also the opioid crisis and, and, the, and the violence that's led to so many people dying. So we're, we're challenged on three fronts. So you have this convergence of, of multiple public health crises. We know that the recovery from this pandemic is, is probably going to be a longer-term economic recovery. Beyond support from the federal government, is there any, any other support you need right now from, from the state, perhaps, um, support you're, you're lobbying for to try to make sure Cook County can provide the services it needs to to its residents? Well, we've gotten a lot of support from the state, as I said, as we've struggled to deal with the pandemic from the Illinois National Guard and from the Illinois Emergency Management Agency, IEMA. This is um, probably the defining uh, period for all of us who are are alive at this point, in the same way that the Depression and the Second World War were the defining experience for other generations. Um, and particularly in an executive position, it's a real challenge to deal with um, the crisis that has so many um, uh, implications, not just not just as I said, in terms of public health, but in the the health of the economy and and the uh, ability to raise the money to provide the services that people so desperately need in a time of crisis. Well, a separate but related problem exists within certain communities hiding in the shadows. And here's what Mayor Lightfoot said about their fears in coming forward for medical treatment. We are seeing a surge in cases amongst our Latinx residents. There are consequences of President Trump's hateful xenophobic demonization of this community. We've stood up against this hate. We will continue to stand up against this hate. But now more than ever, we need to bring people out of the shadows. 
Whatever their fears may be, we have to make sure that we break through that. President Preckwinkle, what's your message for undocumented people or, or documented people who reject medical care because they fear jeopardizing a family member or a neighbor? Well, I mean, the first thing that we need to understand is that we're responsible for a public health um, and hospital system that has always, for 180 years, taken whoever comes to our door. So regardless of their race or their religion or um, their ability to pay or their documentation status, um, we take everyone who comes to our door. And, uh, you know, our, our patient population is disproportionately black and brown. We've never refused anyone care. And I'm very proud of that. That's something for which um, all of our residents in Cook County can be proud that we provide we provide this kind of care to those who need it most. And you know, there's a particular concern, of course, in, in our immigrant communities uh, around the president's horrible, disgraceful demonization of, of the immigrant community. Uh, it's uh, one of the most despicable things about him, and given the long list of despicable things of which he's guilty, uh, that's saying something. Well, you and Cook County Sheriff Tom Dart haven't always seen eye to eye on policy, but you've both found some common ground on handling Cook County's jailed population post-COVID-19. Tell us about your approach. Well, I'm very grateful to the sheriff, um, first of all, in working with us to reduce the jail population so we could single cell people. You know, jails are congregate facilities, and I usually say they're petri dishes. So um, we've worked over the last year the jail population, the census on a daily basis has been hovering around 6,000. But working together with all the stakeholders, the chief judge, the sheriff, the public defender, the state's attorney, and the clerk of the court, uh, we've gotten the jail population down now close to 4,200. Actually, was hovering about 4,000 and as a result of the violence in Chicago over the last several days. We have, uh, we've had an uptick, but uh, 4,200 people, I think, is the present, roughly the present census in the jail. And that's extraordinarily helpful because, as I said, it enables us to single-cell people. It's hard to mitigate the effects of the, of the virus when people are, are um, two people to a cell. So we've single-celled a lot of people. That's really helpful. Um, our Bureau of Asset Management uh, built out the former boot camp, which is on our 26th in California uh, campus, built it out so that it could be used to quarantine people and to house people who had mild uh, cases of COVID-19. So we've been working closely with the sheriff, and you may have seen the recent story uh, which pointed out that the COVID-19 virus of the jail is now being driven by people who are coming into the jail rather than um, uh, originating and spreading within the present detainee population. So um, they've, they've started um, quarantining people who come into the jail just um, to ensure that they're not asymptomatic and and uh, spreading the disease in that way, and um, we've we've gotten a real handle on the on the virus in the jail, and that's to the credit of the sheriff. Well, health experts continue to warn about a possible spike in COVID infections this fall. Should that be the case, what lessons has your office learned these past few months that you think will help you if that time comes? It's not if; it's when. Um, and unfortunately, more, the more we open up our, our states, not just Illinois, but around the country, um, we're going to see an uptick in, in cases. And the modeling that I saw a couple of weeks ago saw uh, another significant up, uptick, a kind of echo starting in November and moving into December and January, uh, more traditional, you know, flu season. Uh, but as we open up this summer, we're going to see um, an uptick in cases as well. It's just a question of what the magnitude is. So, you know, until and unless we have a, a vaccine, 
the virus is going to be with us. And we are all going to be challenged, as I said, to do physical distancing, to wear masks, to wash our hands all the time, and to be judicious about the extent to which we're in, in uh, contact with other people uh, so that we can personally take responsibility for not spreading the disease. Well, the pandemic has exposed some historical gaps. Um, we see the gap in child care, health care access, environmental racism. As you think about what comes on the other side of this pandemic, a better next, and you talked a lot about equity um, as you were running for mayor. How are you imagining what's on the other side of this for Cook County? The virus has really just uh, laid bare the incredible inequity that we've allowed in this country, and and it's race based. I mean, if you if you look at it, it's black and brown people who are struggling the most with the pandemic and have been most heavily heavily impacted uh, economically by the pandemic because black and brown people are concentrated in in what are we now call essential essential services, and as a result, are are out and about in the world while people who are more privileged uh, can stay home and shelter in place. So. The pandemic did not cause inequality. It just, as I said, laid bare the brutal nature of the equality that we've allowed in this country uh, for a very long time. And, you know, racism and and, uh, discrimination uh, are always with us, and the impacts of that racism and and, and discrimination are surely evident as we look at the course of the disease and, as I said, its economic impacts. That's Tony Preckwinkle, president of the Cook County Board. President Preckwinkle, thanks for speaking with us. You're welcome. And that's today's Reset. For the latest, most accurate information on the COVID-19 crisis and for stories about how your neighbors are dealing with the pandemic, listen to 91.5 or go to WBEZ.org. I'm Jen White. Stay safe and let's talk again soon.